0: this is KDX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Brian Ping sitting in today for Charles Feldman. Prosecutors have dropped the manslaughter charges against Alec
1: Baldwin, so we will go in-depth. And what happened to all those new COVID treatment scientists were working on? Also, fashion icon, shoe designer Steve Madden will be with us. And we start with
0: the big developments today out of New Mexico, where Alec Baldwin appears to be exonerated, Jonathan Handel is an entertainment attorney. Jonathan, thank you for joining us. So uh, what must have been going through prosecutors' minds when they decided to drop these charges here?
2: Well, good to be with you. Uh, This case has been difficult from the beginning. There's a continuum between civil liability and criminal liability, and it was never fully appropriate. Excuse me. It was never fully apparent whether uh, criminal liability was appropriate, notwithstanding the horrific uh, occurrence of the death of of uh, Helena Hutchins, but the this also is an example of just how strategic litigation of any sort, whether civil or criminal, can become. This is really an example of the defense knocking the prosecution off its track repeatedly. First, the charges were downgraded. Then the special prosecutor was disqualified. Then the DA stepped aside, and finally they ended up with a special prosecutor who decided, for reasons that we don't know yet, uh, that this case is not prosecutable. And, uh, and and either should not have been brought or cannot be brought effectively in this current uh, posture are you suggesting the, uh,
0: are you suggesting they, they may have been bullied into this decision or at least at the very least you know unduly pressured
2: I'm not I'm, I don't know that they've been bullied exactly exactly but they certainly were were pressured but look every every uh, criminal case and certainly every high profile criminal case is a matter of pressure in both directions I mean the prosecution brings the pressure that the defendant, uh you know if found guilty is going to be you know it's going to be fined or imprisoned uh it is it's the defense attorney's job to press back uh and to do that in every legitimate way and that is what uh that is what we've seen here now this case as you as your the intro mentioned uh was dismissed without prejudice it could be refiled which would be another startling development but it uh, it, it seems uh, it would be very surprising if it were it, it seems that this is the the end of the criminal liability uh, for Alec Baldwin
1: yeah for Alec Baldwin uh, it looks like that for now but what about the case in general uh, is this case so derailed that we're never going to get anything to trial on this
2: well there are I believe there are there's uh, civil litigation pending uh, and there is a separate trial against the uh, a separate case against the armorer pending is my understanding as well so we may see that um i i hope frankly that even with baldwin uh you know being being dismissed from criminal liability at this phase that this will be a wake-up call for hollywood but it's you know we've we've had incidents in the past uh at at multi-year intervals of horrific uh deaths and and accidents uh, and incidents that should not have happened, and this industry needs to clean up its act. That is the lesson that I hope will, will be taken to heart.
0: If ba- Alec Baldwin wasn't the level of celebrity that he is, is he still facing charges today? In your opinion?
2: No. If he had the as long as he had the money to afford the sort of team that Alec Baldwin could afford, I, I don't think that this is a celebrity matter so much as it is. I mean, it certainly it certainly plays a part, but I think the the real thing is, can you afford lawyers and how many lawyers uh, who can take every every single move available? I mean, if this is a you know a, a journeyman actor who's represented by a public defender, uh, they they'd still be facing, you know, or by uh, an inexpensive lawyer or something, uh, they'd still be facing charges.
1: All right, thank you so much, uh, Jonathan Handel, entertainment attorney. Coming up in just
0: a few minutes on In-Depth, when did transgender people become such popular targets for conservative politicians? You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Brian
1: Ping. Still ahead, a fashion icon who came up from the bottom, fell from the top, and made the climb all over again. My what now? Right now, the
0: House passed legislation that restricts the participation of transgender athletes in high school and college sports. David Jolly served as a Republican member of Congress representing Florida's 13th district. Congressman, thank you for joining us. It seems the conservative movement in this country has decided that transgender people are its biggest target. How did we get here? When did this start?
3: Yeah, that's right. Look, you have to look at it through a political lens and through a lens of equity and justice, I suppose. Through the political lens, Republicans have grabbed onto this culture war issue, which, look, I think if you look at American culture, it always takes a decade or two for us to adjust to solutions of equity when there are emerging questions of culture. The trans issue is a lightning rod for conservative Americans. Republicans are moving to galvanize their base around that. But I think the questions of equity and justice are probably more important, which is, is what Republicans do are doing today fair and right and just? I come down on the side of no, but listeners, I suppose, could make up their own minds.
1: It does feel like a very old game. I'm old enough That's to remember right. when it was "quote welfare queens" unquote who were the uh, target du jour, and then it was uh, gay people, and then uh, today That's it's right. it's uh, transgender people, and some of it seems, I mean, to me, uh, maybe I'm an outlier, but it seems irrational to me. And then the uh, thing that kind of struck me is uh, after one of our recent mass shootings, of which there are many, uh, suddenly it was, quote, transgender ideology, unquote, that was leading oh, yeah. to mass shootings, which I just could not wrap my head around. Uh, is it getting more and more irrational, or is just just yet another episode in an old game?
3: Yeah, you know, what is irrational to some is hateful to others, but I suppose to some it makes sense, right? What Congress did today specifically addresses trans athletes in sports to say, if your recognized gender at birth was male, you may not participate in female sports at a federally funded institution. I think a lot of people probably support that today. Clearly it got a, a party line vote of Republicans. I think what Republicans, perhaps I would make the case they're acting in bad faith on, is these are tough cultural issues where we should be trying to reach for equity and justice. And what does that look like? You know i received a call from a grandfather of a trans high schooler who had experienced their own suicidal ideations they were under treatment from a doctor the parents were supervising their care and this kid was now in a really good place and is about to be valedictorian of the school but some of the state legislation that's moving through our states including florida would throw the doctor in jail for prescribing those medicines and take the kid from their parents if their parents allowed it to happen I'm not sure that's moving us forward to the country we can be. I think that's trying to hold us back. And I, that's the bad faith I see from Republicans today.
0: Yeah, I think a big flashpoint here, as you mentioned, is the children, underage uh, kids who want to you know, seek right. that care because, you know, that, they, they feel that that is their their true selves. And from the other side of the aisle there, they want to prevent that from happening. Yes, you you're not a consenting adult, but at the same time, it is your life. So do you see, because of that, the will on their side is going to be stronger than the will to oppose them? And this could be a losing issue on the Republican side.
3: Yeah, you know, everybody in this fight seems to be fighting for parents' rights, right? Republicans are saying, hey, schools shouldn't teach uh, transgenderism. And parents of transgender kids are saying, I'm a parent. Let me make the decision without the state's intervention. What I think I know, and this goes back to our conversation earlier on issues of race, on LGBT issues and other issues around people's singular identity, it can't actually be stopped. And this is part of a culture growing to embrace equity among all our fellow Americans. And so whatever the politics of today are, I promise you my, my conviction, the culture of trans Americans will ultimately emerge with equity. The question is, what are the hurdles before they get there? And we're seeing one today in the Republicans in Congress.
1: All right. Let's uh, let's let's kind of bring the focus in a little bit and talk about the actual uh, legislation that probably does not have a chance of passing, but it's there. This idea is out there. People are talking about it. This uh, banning the participation of transgender athletes in high school and college sports. There was concern right. here that, you know, you're born male. You've got the body of a male, even though you transition to female. Uh, it's not fair for you to, uh, to uh, compete against women who are, I think the uh, intimation here is that women are weaker and not not as strong. Therefore, the man is being unfair. Uh, is that a problem that's really happening a lot? Is there, are there a lot of <laughs> right. cases of this that's become such a huge problem that the, that the federal government has to get involved?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. Look, there have been cases, right? And one of the things that politicians are apt to do is they grab a singular case and they make it seem as though that is happening all across our country. So there have been cases. Is it happening across the country? Absolutely not. Of course not. And look, I think it raises some fair questions. And this is one where it's okay to say, Let's take a pause. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is, but to reach for some wholesale mandate from the federal government is probably overreach and overkill. That is true at the state level as well. I think our school boards and our local jurisdictions typically have the the wisdom and the means and the discretion to figure out on a case by cases how to do this. I'm not quite sure it requires federal legislation, but as you mentioned, what passed in the House today makes a statement, but is probably not going through the Senate, nor will be signed by Joe Biden.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Uh, David Jolly, served as a Republican member of Congress representing Florida's 13th district. You can
0: find the KNX In-Depth Podcast on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Coming up, whatever happened to all those promised breakthroughs on COVID treatments and prevention?
1: You're listening to KDX In-Depth with Brian Ping. I'm Robarcher. Barcher. Steve Madden
0: was on top of the fashion industry with a beloved shoe line with billions in sales until a stock trading scandal brought him down. Madden joins us on In-Depth to discuss his rise back to
1: the top. Well, as we got into the uh, height of the pandemic, we were developing vaccines, developing treatments, and we were promised that a whole bunch of new stuff was on the horizon. We were uh, told about possible uh, inhalers that would treat uh, COVID, uh, treatments for long COVID, but some of those have not quite materialized. Dr. Gregory Poland is director of the Vaccine Research Group at the Mayo Clinic. Thank you for joining us. Nice to be with you. So, uh, I remember hearing about uh, an inhaler that was going to be uh, a way of delivering the vaccine. What, what happened to that? What happened to some of these other promises that researchers were making about uh, treatments and, uh, and new ways to deliver vaccines?
4: Well, they, they in fact are progressing, and there's some early evidence that they are of benefit and may very well work, but it's a long development pathway absent something like Operation Warp Speed. But uh, I think in the future, we're gonna see nasal vaccines, maybe inhaled vaccines, oral pill vaccines, and possibly so-called patch or through the skin vaccines.
0: Are you suggesting the solution here to uh, quicken the pace here is more government funding? You know, it said the words absent Operation Warp Speed. Do we need another version of that?
4: We really do. I mean, you know, since when the world was on fire, so to speak, I think about $18 billion were put on the table to incentivize drug companies and others to leave behind what they were doing and focus their attentions on this. The recently announced Project Next Gen vaccine has about $5 billion, which is nowhere near enough that you need to develop that many different vaccines. Of note, though, is that yesterday, the FDA said that the monovalent vaccines are no longer authorized in the U.S., only the bivalent
1: vaccines. So that's the one that was uh, reformulated to uh, protect against some of the variants, right?
4: Correct. It's the BA BA.4.5 uh, vaccine.
1: You mentioned uh, the possibility of through-the-skin uh, vaccine delivery systems uh, and, and possibly treatment systems as well. So that's kind of like you were saying, like a nicotine patch, Right.
4: Exactly, the, what's called transdermal uh, approaches. And the reason to do this is we think that uh, vaccine acceptance will be higher. And the other thing is it helps to develop mucosal immunity, that is, immunity in
0: the mouth and the nose, which is the entryway for the SARS CoV 2 virus. We uh, had a story this week saying that uh, people in at-risk groups, the elderly, are approved for a second dose of the current booster, but that booster is tailed to Omicron, BA4, BA5, which, as I understand, is not even in circulation anymore. So uh, what even is the use here? Is it a matter of just sewing something against the wall and seeing what sticks at this point?
4: Well, one is it is the best that we have. But the second thing is it does offer some level of protection, imperfect against XBB and the variants that are circulating. Right now, uh, the XBB and its variants are 90 some percent of all the cases that are occurring in the US. And when you look at what kind of uh, effectiveness, well, if you're uh, an otherwise healthy adult, about 50% effective in preventing uh, getting so sick that you need to go to an urgent care or an emergency department about 60 plus percent effectiveness in preventing hospitalization. By four months, those numbers wane down to about 20 to 40%. So these are, even if we had a perfectly matched vaccine, what's apparent is that there's fairly rapid waning of the antibody and the ability to protect against infection,
1: the ability to protect against
4: disease, is much higher.
1: Talk about some of the advancements being made in treatments. If you get COVID, uh, you want to keep it from getting worse. Uh, Helpfully, the vaccines kind of keep it from turning into a severe case, as you were talking about there. But uh, what about other treatments? We've got Paxlovid, but is there anything else on the horizon that's being developed that would be an effective treatment? If you get sick with it, you can get over it really fast if you take this pill.
4: Yeah, this is an area that's badly needed i mean my patients who are immunocompromised for example they they still have to live as if it was the beginning of the pandemic so we do have three antivirals paxlovid molnupiravir and remdesivir the latter one requires iv administration there's some tiny new bits of evidence that there may be some variants that will develop resistance against paxlovid That's really early, needs to be confirmed. But the point remains, we need research dollars flowing into the development of new antivirals and new monoclonal antibodies. We don't have a single monoclonal antibody right now on the market to prevent uh, COVID-19.
1: All right, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Gregory Poland, director of the Vaccine Research Group at the Mayo Clinic.
0: Chances are you've probably bought a pair or somebody you know has bought a pair of his shoes at one point in your lifetime. Steve Madden joins us next on In-Death You're listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Brian Ping, in for Charles Feldman.
1: Steve Madden launched his career in the fashion industry by selling shoes out of his trunk back in 1990, and he quickly built that up into a shoe empire with billions of dollars in sales. But
0: then Madden got caught up with the notorious Wolf of Wall Street. He went to prison for stock manipulation, and he had to start from scratch. Steve Madden is with us today on In-Depth. He's the founder of Steve Madden Limited, shoe designer extraordinaire and author of the new book, The Cobbler, How I Disrupted an Industry, Fell from Grace, and Came Back Stronger Than Ever. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today.
5: It's good to be here. Uh, I didn't start from scratch, but I started behind where
0: I was. Yeah, I wanted to say that, I mentioned that, starting from scratch, not really, because by then you were a name. Your name is a brand, and you can capitalize on that so once you were back in the fold and back at the big chair uh you, you knew that you're going to use that and, and people were going to trust you and boom that uh company was going to get right back to the heights that you had known but how did that time behind bars and, and away uh from the top how did it change you
5: oh god well so first so i left my business in the
2: hands of uh
1: I was uh, about to say it is quite the story and quite the journey that you've been on. You've been, uh, uh, down and up and down and up kind of, uh, and, what, and down and up. Yeah. What, <laughs> what kind of lessons uh, did you learn in your most recent one? And we'll get back to the early ones a little bit later, but I want to, I want to find out about the uh, recovery from addiction and the work that you had to do to come back from that and get yourself on the good path.
5: Yes. On the good path. Well, um, yes so there's a you know uh there's a place you can go to get sober and um and so that's what i did and uh, at the same time i started my business so i was very fortunate i was very lucky but I, i always say like i wrote the book you know hoping to reach somebody who was struggling to let them know that it doesn't have to be that way. You can get sober and you can live a very productive life. And and uh, I've been so lucky like that.
0: I'm sure uh, you had some people in your life that you could lean on because that is so important. It doesn't matter who you are, how much success you have attained in life. And, you know, we all go through our struggles. So it's important that we all deal with that in our own way. And uh, you
5: managed to, to do that yourself. Yeah. Addiction doesn't uh, seem to care about how much money you make or how smart you are uh, or how old you are. I mean, it just it's just one of those things. It's a disease and uh, and it, it affects, you know, all walks of life and, uh, you know, just one of those things. So um, I always think, you know, Elvis was, an, you know, was an addict, you know, I mean, how do you get better than Elvis, right? So you never know about these things. I don't know why I use that as an example. But I think if there was one person that was the coolest cat in the world, it would be Elvis, right? But, you know, he died from drugs and alcohol.
1: And uh, in speaking with some people who have uh, fought uh, with addiction throughout their lives, uh, one of the hardest things to do, especially depending on the substances you get addicted to, in some cases, it literally rewires your brain. And that makes it even harder to get off of it. There are some uh, things that people get addicted to. They can be clean and sober from it for years and years and years and still fall right back into that trap because their brain has been changed. Uh,
5: Do you fear that happening to you? Oh, Absolutely. I worry about it. It's a, it's we call it a, you know, it's a daily reprieve and that's how I view it. And, uh, and it's a day at a time and that's how I deal with it. It never goes away, but you know, you just don't have to do it.
1: All right. Very quickly, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to stay with you in the next segment. Before we uh, break this time, I want to ask you about, you're going to be speaking at the LA times festival of books on the USC campus. Uh, When is that? When can we go see you? I think it's Sunday at 3 o'clock I'll be there. And what kind of story can
5: we expect? <laughs> it's, the, it's the same old story. Hot shoes, prison, redemption, uh, success, uh, you know, recovery, all those things.
1: I, I think that's it right there. Hot shoes and redemption. That should be the title of your next book. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, Steve Madden, uh, uh, fashion icon, is going to stay with us for the next segment as we continue on KNX In-Depth. You're listening to KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer, along with Brian Ping. We're back with fashion icon
0: Steve Madden telling us the story of his journey of redemption and fighting addiction. Steve, I want to ask you about uh, the episode that landed you in trouble. It was your involvement with uh, the so-called pump and dump uh, organization that was portrayed in The Wolf of Wall Street. But now we're in the days of meme stocks and crypto and GameStop and all. Does that just kind of tickle you saying, well, I got in so much trouble for this, but now it just seems to be anybody with an app can do this sort of thing now?
5: Um, Well— it was a little bit more naked when uh when we did it and uh there are a lot of uh i think there everybody's allowed to buy and sell stocks i i think the way we did it was uh was illegal and uh so it's not the same no I don't
1: think it's the same. And and what did you learn from that as you came out of that? You you had to re uh, more or less rebuild your company again uh, when you got out. I think it was what was it 2005 and uh, now you've got uh, you've got a huge brand again. Uh are there lessons that you learned about how you accomplished this remarkable comeback?
5: Yeah. You know, uh I was fearful and I took shortcuts and I realized that I had talent and I don't need to do that now. And also, money is not everything. And I thought that, you know, I thought that, uh, it's easy to say that, but you know, uh, you know, money's just not everything and money can't buy you happiness. And, uh, And so, accomplishments can buy you happiness. And success is a lot of different things and it's great to make money. Don't get me wrong. And I, I love doing it, but it's, it's not the only thing there's other things. So I guess that's the lesson. Steve- I always sort of knew it, but I didn't really know it until it was too late. All right, so, Steve, you can't keep
0: true talent down for long. And <laughs> it was just inevitable that even through your rough patches, if you were still doing what made you great, you'd be great again. But let's go back to the beginning. You talk about disrupting the shoe industry. What was the secret sauce there? A lot of hard work for sure. But what gave you the edge?
5: Well, you know, I had a little factory and so everybody was in sort of China and Brazil. And so what I would do is, well, one of the things that I would do is I would make the shoes locally in Brooklyn And I would and we had like a test and react model. So we would get the vote from the customer, kind of like a hot record, you know, like a or, you know, um, you know, you test it out with the consumer. And if it works, then you then you mass produce it. And that's sort of what I did. And people weren't doing that. That's one thing. But that that's the one thing that comes to mind. I was always surprised that people didn't do it. And, and and surprising
1: uh, thing about shoes, too, because that's that's kind of a product that you make that everybody has to have uh, like clothes in a way. Everybody's going to wear clothes. Uh, everybody's going to have shoes. Is was that part of the thinking behind of of uh, of of doing it with shoes?
5: Well, I was always in the shoe business. I worked in a shoe store as a teenager. So that's what I knew. <clears throat> so that was my expertise. So I was always going to be in the shoe business. And so I had a kind of a knack for making sort of styles that girls liked, that women liked. And uh, and so that was it. That's what I did. And
1: my wife is a huge <laughs> fan of your shoes. She was excited when I told her we were going to be talking to Steve Madden. She got excited, and uh, she's a big fan of your shoes.
5: Oh, that's great. Yeah, we're still making shoes all the time, man. And uh, we're we're still at it, and we're still doing the same things that made us successful. Yeah, and it t- doesn't matter how big you get. you got to stick to the same sort of principles that made us successful and that's what we do.
0: Yeah, you talked about uh you know working in a shoe shop uh, growing up and that was a much different experience than a lot of people who buy shoes now just a couple clicks at a mouse something uh, shows up at your door maybe they fit maybe a they don't, and in the beginning, it was a, a much more intimate uh, process because you know a lot, a lot of times you're actually slipping the shoe on on somebody's foot and it <laughs> a personal connection. got to somebody there your foot to make sure that uh, it, that if it fit well. Has it lost kind of some of its soul? This show? <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, the, in the, uh, the the whole the whole business, the way it is now,
5: I don't think so. I think it's great. I think buying online is great. Look, I come from stories, so I love the whole vibe of, of watching a woman try it on and going in front of the mirror. But things change, you know, things change. And, you know, we went from the, you know, uh, the CD to, to, you know, to the disc and to and now we're streaming music and uh, everything changes. And I, I, uh, I love I meant DVD. I meant to say DVD. <laughs> we went from. <laughs> I remember when we played DVDs, everybody was saying, oh, it sounds so great. You know, it was, oh, it's so amazing. And now uh, we're streaming, and same with shoes. They, they, We sell so many shoes online, and it seems to be okay, you know. Well, there,
1: there you go. If you can sell them online, you you got it made. Hey, uh, I want to go back to uh, your connection to the movie uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, as you were in, in kind of involved in, in what that movie was about. But about the movie itself, uh, what did you think of the person who, who –
5: kind of portrayed you in that film he had great hair much better better hair than me i uh i really enjoyed the movie i was i was frightened to death of it you know i did i only worked with them reluctantly because you know they're going to make a movie about a bad part of my life and i thought this is terrible but they convinced me to help them and i did uh actually they filmed in my store and, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a pretty good experience actually. And it was a true story and it was made by, you know, perhaps our greatest filmmaker, Martin Scorsese. So I had to, so how could you not be involved in that? Well,
1: one, one more question before we go, if they make a movie specifically about you and your life, let's say they make a movie out of this book that you've just written, uh, who do you want to play you?
5: <laughs> so that's so funny. Uh, so we are, there are people interested in turning this into a TV show, you know, sort of like Succession. And, you know, one of the people that has, has agreed to play me, the guy that has agreed to play me, is Michael Rappaport. Wow,
1: I think I and can see that.
5: Yeah. So it was, and it turns out that his, you know, his family is from my hometown and, and we're and we're buddies and we get along great and and so it looks like if we were to do something uh Michael would play me
1: there you go and you can call and it hot shoes and redemption
5: hot shoes and redemption <laughs> I I thought also Queen Latifah could play me. (laughs) That would be an interesting take. All right.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Steve Matten, fashion icon. By the way, uh, he's going to be speaking at the LA Times Festival of Books on the USC campus uh, Sunday afternoon at uh, 3 p.m. Also, the new book is called The Cobbler, How I Disrupted an Industry, Fell from Grace, and Came Back Stronger Than Ever. Not Uh, Hot Shoes and Redemption. Not Hot Shoes and Redemption. I think you you can't beat that title. That's the one. Uh, That is it for KNX In-Depth today. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.